Welcome to the podcast of the Center for Asian American Christianity at Princeton Theological Seminary, a space for ongoing dialogue among Asian American scholars, ministry leaders, and activists. Hi, everyone. Today's podcast for the Center for Asian American Christianity is a conversation I, David Chow, had with Jerry Park on November 8th. Jerry Park is a professor of sociology at Baylor University who specializes uh, in the study of religion and race. We discuss uh, some of the most recent demographic trends regarding uh, Christianity in the U.S., especially with respect to immigrant religious communities and the implications this might have for uh, the future of the church in the U.S. as well as for theological education. Hope you enjoy it. I'm just interested in some of the trends regarding Asian American Christianity. When I talk to people about the future of theological education and the place of Asian American Christians, I begin with these two data points. The first is fairly well known from the 2012 Pew report that goes, Asian Americans are the fastest growing racial demographic in the U.S., yeah, that's very noteworthy. That indicates rate of growth, not absolute number. And it has something to do with immigration trends in the U.S., which have shifted since 2012, 2013. So I, I am curious if there's any updated information about that particular data point. And then the second data point, and you can kind of clarify and contest or qualify this, but by 2045, there's a there's a claim that the U.S. society will be minority white. So by 2045, four, 49% of the population will be white and the majority will be non-white. Mm-hmm. So the reason why this becomes interesting is these larger demographic trends in U.S. society are also going to be reflected in terms of the church, the, the, the Christian yeah. religion in U.S. society, which based on these trends are going to be less white, more non-white, which then means seminaries, divinity schools, theological educators need to be thinking, I mean, if we haven't already, the next generation of Mm -hmm. church leaders are going to face a different context than 30, 50, 60 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so I guess we could just riff there. And and would you qualify or add any other data points on on those macro trends? Yeah, I, I think everything you've heard, David, is is uh, spot on. And the only things I would add into this to just sort of complicate the picture is some of these estimates that say that the white population will become a minority, they, they don't always account for when people change their racial identity. So there's actually a, a large, largest minority population right now is actually a Hispanic Latino. The, the Census Bureau constitutes them as an ethnic group. But most of the time, we actually treat them as if they were a racialized group. So when somebody makes a, a, a really powerful projection that the white population is going to decline, well, okay, but does, are you saying that including mix as a separate category uh, or not? Because the majority of Latinos actually do count themselves as white. Hmm. So if they become the next largest, the majority of them still count themselves as white, then there isn't a minority of white respondents, Americans, I'm sorry. Right, 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 um, right. right. So it sort of depends on where where Hispanic Latinos are supposed to be counted in, the, in these estimations and projections. Okay. So that's one thing. The second thing that needs to be 
I guess acknowledged that really complicates this too is the multiracial category. I had a chance to be in a brief conversation with uh, Duncan Williams. He's a, a noted Buddhist scholar, and he he keeps track of uh, the Japanese American population. And one of the big things that he's been talking about here and there when, when, when he's invited to speak is that the Japanese American population is the first Asian population, at least, in which the majority of the ethnic group is actually multiracial. So, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. So when, when you look at South Asian Indians, Chinese, Korean, Vietnamese, Filipino, all of them, the vast majority, at least 60% or more, have only one ethnic identification. Japanese Americans are the only group now among the Asians, at least, in which single race or single ethnic identification is the minority. I need I need to get Duncan on, on my podcast. Yeah. He's great. So yes. I, I, I met him at Apari yeah. this past July. Shout out to Apari and the great yeah. thing Carolyn Chen and others are doing with Conference Apari. in May. Yep, yep. Now... Do you think on the Japanese American stat, is it because of their multi-generational history here that because they've been here longer, they've had a chance to intermarry and have different ethnic composition? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That that's that's probably the central part of the story. And some of the other threads that connect to this also is migration flow has been decreasing uh pretty substantially since the 1990s. So the Japanese American population is actually more indigenous to the United States, so to speak, compared to some of the other Asian groups in which the majority are foreign born. Yes, I see. Okay. Yeah. So when you account for that, that's one aspect of it. And I think some have argued too that there's, I think this is going to be hard to suss out, but perhaps, perhaps there are different ways in which different ethnic groups understand what adaptation to a new society entails, right? right. So perhaps for many Japanese Americans, they see intermarriage as one indication of upward mobility, mm -hmm. right? That maybe other groups might be more hesitant to do. Interesting. Right. Yeah. And so that's going to create more mixed race Japanese American kids, whereas other ethnic groups that might be around just as long as the Japanese may not show that same sort of pattern. Got it. All yeah. right. So that's all by sort of general demographic trends vis-a-vis -vis Asian Americans. I want to kind of lean into this, yes, 2021 mm -hmm. um, sheet, and maybe we can just begin with what is CMPS? So the CMPS is the Collaborative Multiracial Post-Election Survey. So it's, it's this fantastic combination of more than 100 different scholars, all political scientists and sociologists who contributed uh, to the development of this massive survey that numbered over 800 questions. And what they did, the CMPS architects, as I like to call them, that would include Lori Frazier, Janelle Matt Barreto, and I think Edward Vargas. Mm. They, they are the, the heads of the CMPS, and their vision was to create a survey sample unlike anything we've seen before. So what they would do is have an, what we call an oversample of Asian Americans, an oversample of African Americans, and an oversample of Latinx Americans, plus a large sample of white Americans, all joined together, all exposed to the exact same survey questions about political choices, social, you name it. Oh, wow. So, yeah, by, so over, by oversample, we mean, so for example, with Asian Americans, if Asian Americans are, and correct me if I'm wrong, roughly 6% of the total a U.S. population, yes. then for the purpose of this survey, they would be more than 6% of the survey. Is that what? Precisely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So in a typical survey, 
let's say you surveyed a, a random representative sample of 1,000 American adults, only 60 of them would actually be Asian American if you did it right, right? And so if you're lucky, you'll get 60 respondents out of 1,000. 60 is way too small to do anything with. So an oversample, when it's done well, tries to also get a representative spread across the United States. But instead of getting 60 respondents, like the CMPS, they got 4,000. So yeah, <laughs> with 4,000, okay. you can do a lot, lot more fine-grained analysis that helps show the diversity within many of these minority groups that tend to get lumped together. Got so it. that's the power of many of these oversampled kind of projects. Right. And CMPS, to me, stands out in this regard. And this survey also took religious membership and affiliation into account. Is that right? It did. Thankfully, because uh, Janelle Wong takes religion seriously as a social scientist, and also through a uh, shout out to the Louisville Institute for offering a grant to me in which I was able to put in some questions. The reason why there's a, like over 100 different contributors to the survey, basically, it was a kind of crowdsourced, if you will. Uh, anybody that had funds could contribute their funds um, to the CMPS for certain questions, right? So everything was based off of time. But to maintain equity, which I thought was really brilliant here, they ask you whether you're a part of an R1 institution, hmm. what is your rank status in that institution, oh, wow. right? And, and then they piece all of that together to give you a different quote based off of what potential available resources you have to give questions. Wonderful. So that way there's a little bit of a more even playing field. Yeah. So, yeah, that part was really exciting. Um, Thankfully, at the time, I was part of an R2 university, <laughs> so I got to have a lower grade so I could ask more questions given my relative position. And I'm, and I'm not a full professor either, so I didn't get the, the highest charge for my questions. So well, using that, I was able to ask some questions about white and Christian nationalism, uh, which groups are perceived as threats in society, and the racial composition of the churches that people attend. And that's going to be the focus of our conversation today. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. There's so much there. Before we get to the religious stuff, yeah. a shout out to Janelle Wong, who is yes. a conference speaker in the past. And I use her, her book quite a bit, especially the tables that have the charts. Mm -hmm. And her book on immigrations, evangelicals, and voting patterns was took into consideration to 2016 election. Right. And you mentioned this was a 2021 post-election survey. Mm -hmm. You have any uh, initial findings about how Asian Americans voted in the 2020 presidential election? Is there any? Uh, actually, I do. I, I just submitted a chapter to a possible book that might be coming out. I don't know when, 2024. Yeah. yeah. So I have all of that. Unfortunately, I don't remember it off the top of my head. Okay. That, that'll just be a, a follow-up <laughs> podcast because yeah. um, I am curious if, if Asian Americans leaned Democratic in the 2016 election, I'm wondering if there was a shift in pattern for 2020 and we can we can pick that up at a later point. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, there's definitely been a drift, I can say that much, from, I think, a slight majority Republican voting block of Asian Americans back in the 1980s to the present, where it's more like 60% that I think identify and vote as Democrats. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. But the big twist, and to me, this is why religion is so important, when you can identify the Asian American evangelicals, they're the only group in which the majority, I think, again, about 60% of them, voted for Trump. Of all the Asian American groups, when you disaggregate by their religious backgrounds, 
including the atheists and agnostics and those people with no religion. Asian American evangelicals were the only one that actually went on the other direction. But yeah. it wasn't as high as white evangelicals. 80% of white evangelicals voted for Trump. About 60% of Asian American evangelicals voted for Trump. I see. So, so all right. So let's just use that data point for reflection. I take it that there's at least two interesting reference points there. One is what you began with, which is Asian American evangelicals in comparison to other Asian Americans writ mm -hmm. large, yes. where other Asian Americans skewed to the left, to the left, to Democrats, mm -hmm. but this pocket of Asian American evangelicals skewed Republican. Yes. And one could surmise that their evangelical faith pushed them against the grain of other Asian Americans. That's okay. right. I see you nodding your head, so that I'm I'm tracking that point. However, compared mm -hmm. to white evangelicals, they were not as conservative by about 20 percentage points, the 60 to the 80 thing, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, perfect. Right. Yeah. So on the one hand, vis-a-vis -vis other Asian Americans, the religious faith pushes conservative, but vis-a-vis -vis white Christian evangelicals, it's not as pronounced. Right. So in both cases, religion plays a factor and then race plays a factor. That's right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. I feel like I'm, I'm understanding some <laughs> of these data points. So let's, I want to dig into the, the Black Christians, Latinx Christians, Asian Christians from this, this chart. And it says here, most Black Christians attend a 50% plus Black church. And then a slight majority of Latinx Christians attend a 50% plus Latinx church. But then when it comes to Asian Americans, most attend a 50% plus white church. Right. And so it's like to translate, it sounds like the majority of black Christians are in majority black churches. Right. But a slight majority of Latinx Christians are in primarily Latinx churches. But mm -hmm. that is that trend does not follow for Asian Americans. That's who, right. Who tend attend mostly white churches. Exactly. Okay. So I don't know if sociologists are comfortable doing this, but why? Why why the <laughs> difference for Asian American Christians? Right. Well, that that's the big puzzle piece. And I'm hoping that this might turn into an article of some sort, because I, I did not anticipate this at all. Because normally the principle of homophily, at least as far as race is concerned, would suggest exactly what we see with the patterns for whites, black and Latinx Americans. They will typically congregate with people that look like them. So the Asian American difference here is a is a startling difference, especially because I, I tried to be careful about who I was limiting the sample to. I wanted to just look at the Christians, those who identified as Protestant or Christian or Catholic, any in, in that orbit, right? And when you put all of them together, they are like 35% of all Asian Americans. So that's point number one. Of all the racial groups in America, Asian Americans are the only group that is not majority Christian. Compared, one of the big things we need to do is comparing this to the 2012 Pew Research Survey, there may have been upwards to like a six or 8% drop decline in the Christian Asian American population. So let's just pause there for a second because yeah. 
from that 2012-13 Pew study, it said 42% of Asians in America are yep. Christian, and you're mm -hmm. saying it's dropped down to 35% now. Right. Okay, so right. What, what what explains that that trend? So that's the big question. If, if the CMPS sampling strategy does not show any bias or errors in it, mm -hmm. um, then we have a big explanation point to try to unpack. Yep. The other explanation, though, the more pragmatic one is maybe there was a sampling issue. Yeah. And this is what I tried to share with you on that attachment. Yep. There's a paper that's currently under review that made a pretty startling discovery that while most survey firms understand that people that answer a survey online are somewhat different than people who answer a survey by phone okay. or in person, yeah. nobody has ever been able to say with, with any definitive, like, these are the exact characteristics that make them different. Yeah. The paper under review decided to look at the religious proclivities of people who don't answer surveys online versus people who do. And what they found in a sample that's predominantly white, very religious people don't want to do an online survey. Oh, boy. So they're underrepresented. CMPS 2021 was an online only survey. Oh, boy. Okay. Right. And right. so the big question is, is this a mistake based off of a sampling strategy that did produce a large number of Asian Americans and generally somewhat random, but it's still a certain kind of a person that was willing to answer the survey. Yep. And for those of us that study religion, unfortunately, the most religious people that we wanted to hear from decided to not answer the survey at all. Got and they got replaced by somebody who was less devout. So that could mean that there's a suppressed when we're talking about what kinds of churches people are attending. Is it possible that the most devout Asian American Christians tend to be at churches that are predominantly Asian, ah. right? And then that could easily switch the ratios that we're seeing right now. Yeah, I get it. I get it. So I'm not going to ask why do more religious people and why they don't like taking online surveys, because I, I feel <laughs> like that's going to take us a little too far into sociology land. Right. Yeah. So uh, like another consequence of that might even be misidentification. So, you know, like I said, the CMPS says 35% of Asian Americans are now Christian. The Pew Research Survey, which was done by phone in 2012, said that 42% of Asian Americans are Christian. That suggests, right, if we don't think about methodology, mm -hmm. it could be that the Asian American Christian population is declining. However, if all the devout Asian American Christians, the super devout, I should say, mm -hmm. if they're the ones that didn't answer the survey at the CMPS, maybe that number is suppressed. Yep. So that's, it's not actually 35%. It might be 45% even. Right. Right. Oh, now I remember my question. Yeah. Is the survey, is the survey done in the English language or does it take into account Mandarin, Taiwanese, Korean, Tagalog, et cetera? Yeah. The language translation was made available. We don't know exactly who took part in it. At least I didn't analyze that question, but there is a marker somewhere in the survey data set where you can see what percentage of people answered these questions in Korean, simplified Chinese, and Vietnamese. Got I think it. those are the three main languages. Because then if 57% of Asians in America are, are born overseas, mm -hmm. and many of them are English as a second language, then the then the access to the survey in the mother tongue becomes important or else you're skewing yes. for a certain type, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Another thing that my research assistant, shout out to Joyce Chang. Um, she, 
She brought up an interesting point too. I mean, I see this here in Waco, Texas. Asian American Christians, even when they're in, let's say, a dominant ethnic group space, they're sharing it with another group. So like one of the Korean churches here in Waco actually uses a fellowship hall space of one of the dominant, predominantly white churches in downtown Waco. So if, right, so if they see a survey question that asks, what's the racial composition of your church? Could they make the mistake of saying, oh, you're talking about, you know, First Baptist Church downtown where my church is located? Oh, yeah, it's mostly white. But no, 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 that's not what I meant. <laughs> but we have no way of telling them that. What count, like what church, like, are we talking about the building, the people? Right. And if it's, a, if it's a shared space, how do people understand and account for that? Oh, that's, right. that's and huge. And what if it got lost in translation? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was translated correctly, right? And, and reverse translation also said, yeah, what you asked is exactly how it reads in Korean. But they still <laughs> read it as, you know, thinking of the church in, you know, context space, yeah. what's the majority race, right? <laughs> as so, opposed to what is your specific congregation? Yeah, let's, let's, I, I just remembered, I have a burning question that's even okay. prior to all of this, which is, sure. and please dissect the, the premise that I'm operating with, because I'm sure it's, it's loaded, which is how many Asian American churches are there we don't know we have no baseline yeah like in 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 an invitation from you david actually to write something in theology today we were trying to make that very same point most of the research on american congregations basically is built and designed for the majority of white christians even black and latinx christians are often so minoritized in these samples that you can't disaggregate them so we don't know enough about African-American or Latinx Christians, and we know almost nothing about Asian-American Christians. All right. So let's say you had unlimited funding. How um, would you design a, a kind of research project to get a, a more adequate count of the number of Asian-American churches? And what do we mean by that category, right? So it's like, because... we in in this in this document it's like like so i'm thinking what counts as an asian american church is there a right. percentage threshold that is necessary to go from something that is i don't know a multiracial multicultural congregation but what if it's like 50% asian american does that count as an asian american congregation so the first is how would you design a survey to account for the number of churches and then how do you begin to delimit the criterion used to enter into that count. And I'm my first thought is, so one, I'm at a PCUSA seminary. I directed mm. the Center for Asian American Christianity. So right. part of me is thinking, let's just approach all the denominations. Surely they have statistics on racial ethnic demographics of their congregations. And then we just add them all up. Like mm. break that down for me. Why wouldn't that work? Or why would that be a good idea? Yeah, it, it wouldn't work, I think, because the majority of Asian American Christians, again, this is very speculative, but just based off of observations and listening to a lot of stories, most of them are actually part of independent churches, yep. Yep. right? So going through denominational channels will get you a certain kind of Asian American church, but it's not necessarily going to get you the representative one. And that's where big funding would come into play. 
Um, I've wondered about this for myself. What we what we could really use in the social science, and I would say any scholars of Asian American Christianity or Christianity in general in the United States, we could use an oversampling of Asian American Christians. So what this what the CMPS has revealed to me is, while it's it's wonderful to have an oversample that is as large as the CMPS is for Asian Americans. The Christian population and almost all the other religious populations are so small that you actually want that group to be even bigger, right? So unless you've got the funding to survey, let's say, 10,000 Asian Americans, another approach would be to see if there's a mechanism in which you can get 4,000 Asian American Christians. Yeah. So that could be another option, at which point you can then fine grain what you want to know about Asian American Christianity. Right. Let me let me kind of expand the question about our sociological ignorance regarding non-white churches. Do we know more about the numbers of black churches and Latinx churches compared to Asian churches? Or is it does it still extend like we, we are still operating with significant data gaps regarding black church numbers and Latinx church numbers? Yeah, we are still lacking in black and Latinx uh, Christian church data. Right. And I've talked to some experts in the field and they, they all seem to be saying the same things. Since the majority of congregational research is led by white researchers, sometimes their strategies are kind of alienating to be Christians. Right. They feel skeptical towards a white person walking into their largely Latino church and, you know, stack full of survey papers. Right. <laughs> and just asking, could you all stay here for just another 20 minutes and answer the survey? Right. They're like, what's this for? Are you part of the government? Where are you coming yeah. from? Like, what are yeah. you going to do with this information? Yeah. Why do you want to know it from me? Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of this sort of thing happening. So part of it is just the PR dimension of mm-hmm. gaining trust in each of these communities. And one of the things I'm learning and I hope to be a part of is when we do congregational research, we've got to think multiracially. We've got to have a leadership that comes from many different backgrounds. So that when you, let's say you wanted to reach Asian American churches, they need to see maybe a face like that looks like me rather than my white colleague over here, or maybe my African American colleague over there, right? When you're going to the black churches, maybe we should have the leader of the team that's African American, right? And so this, I think will engender more trust. And from that trust, you, you reach out to the leadership, the leadership then tries to persuade their flock, their congregations to try to participate. And then hopefully that increases our. Right. So I've been in the PCUSA denominational world for quite some time. I I served for about three years at 100 Witherspoon Street in Louisville, Kentucky, which is the PCUSA headquarters. Got to know some of the good people there, including the publishing house. And so my sense is that these mainline or denominational bodies have dominated sort of the the presentation of information and descriptions of Christian churches in the U.S. because that's just how it's been. I mean, we have something called the Christian Century periodical, but it also names what the 20th century was when it comes to U.S. society and the Christian church, Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of a holdover from how Europe was like a Christian land for 
the modern period. Now, mm -hmm. recently I've been lecturing on Asian American history with my with my good friend and colleague Casey Choi at Princeton Seminary, and I gave a, a lecture for William Yu, shout out to William at Columbia Theological Seminary, where I talked about 1965. This mm. Immigration and Nationality Act in 1965, yep. in which we get like the full repeal of Chinese exclusion going all the way back to 1882, it was a game changer yep. with respect to letting uh, migrants from south of the border, west of the border, you know, just migrants in general coming in and how within a decade, we began seeing these non-European migrants changing the face of America, which right. is why we get that statistic from 2012, Asian Americans are the fastest growing racial demographic in the US. That's right. So it, it strikes me that we still haven't, the historians and sociologists of Christianity in America have not caught up to 1965. That was 50 years ago. That's right. And our, yeah. our data points and our narratives about Christianity in the U.S. have not caught up to this demographic reality. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, not, not to point too much uh, criticism in, in these directions, but I think it's worth maybe in this podcast to point out that the people that fund these surveys, the people that fund many of these positions like endowed chairs, they don't necessarily see Asian American interests in what their priorities are. Yeah. Right. And so when some humble scholar approaches them with a need for several hundred thousand dollars, uh, right? And then they say, that's kind of a big risk you're asking us to put into a constituency that nobody on the board relates to. Yeah. Like, yeah. okay, wow. This is where there, there's something called the World Christian Database. And I think about, I don't know, five years ago, I just started doing research on Presbyterians in Asia and in the US, because I'm working at a Presbyterian seminary. Sure. And the numbers... I got when I pulled Presbyterians just in South Korea. So not yeah. all, all of Asia, just South <laughs> Korea. I got something like 13 million Presbyterians in South Korea. And then mm -hmm. when I use the same database, the World Christian Database for Presbyterians in the U.S., and these are all Presbyterians. In fact, I, I, did, I controlled for reform. I, I use reformed and Presbyterian interchangeably. I got something like 4 million. Mm -hmm. so, 4 million reformed slash Presbyterians in the U.S., 13 million in South Korea. Right. That is a massive statistic. So there is almost triple, more than triple, the number mm -hmm. of reformed slash Presbyterians in, in the tiny country of South Korea compared to the gigantic country of the U.S. So if that's true internationally, like, what is that going to mean about Christianity domestically in the U.S., right? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, some of this hinges on the question of migration patterns in the near future. Are we going to still see further migration of East Asians to the United States? And among them, will we see continually a, a pro-Christian migration? Yeah. So one of the classic things that has been talked about, I think, since the 1950s, immigrants to the United States typically are religious, and those immigrants actually are typically more often Christian than some other religion. Mm -hmm. Now, what's really interesting about Asia is the entire continent in general is not predominantly Christian. Yep. However, when you look at the immigrants that come from many of those countries, they are disproportionately Christian. So there's an so, oversampling of the Christian faith amongst Asian immigrants. Right. Yes. 
especially when you look at Korea, not so much for the Japanese, but you'll see this among Indian and Vietnamese and Chinese, as well as Korean. Yeah. The other Why group is that? that is not quite there, the Filipinos. Yeah. Yeah. So is there a Catholic uh, country? Yeah, it's Catholic country. So something like 90% of the Philippines is uh, Catholic, but I think 80 or 75% of Filipino Americans are Christian. Interesting. Catholic and Protestant combined. So do you think that's the, is the explanation for, for this data point? Is it because Asian immigrants self-select for the Christian faith somehow coming to America? Is that part of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is still a perception among many folks in Asia that the United States is predominantly Christian. And so if you're accustomed to how white Western Christians think or how they do business or something like that, mm. all those little cultural factors can each provide just enough impetus to motivate you to want to move. Yeah. 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 I got it. I got it. And one thing too, for those that are like interested in these some of these uh, factoids, I believe less than 30% of South Korea is actually Christian. So yeah, there are more, there's, the ratio of Korean Christians in the United States is actually much higher than the ratio of Co Korean Christians in Korea. Related, are Asians converting to the Christian faith after they migrate or before they migrate to the U.S.? I think the latest response to that has been before they migrate. So they're bringing um, their Christian faith with them to the to the U.S. Some of them are losing their faith. So yeah, the another axiom that people have been following, like hist religious historians as well as sociologists of religion, the the migration process is a theological the theologizing process, yeah. right? Yeah. Because there's so much out of your control that you you need to find some way to explain everything and 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 give you a sense of hope. Yeah. So many people start believing in God, right? Yeah. The strange thing is when they did this oversample of immigrants to the United States, they found that the affiliation rates actually the immigrants used to be more religious back in their home country, whether we're talking about India or country in Latin America or in East Asia. So that was a really surprising finding. This was back in, I think, in 2012 or 2008 that this yeah. paper came out. So... Yeah, that's another distinction there. Here's here's something that um, I don't know how sociologists of religions of religion would would take the question, but I'm going to try to ask it, and then you can help me reframe the question if it's more helpful. But it strikes me that when I look at some of the data tables and charts regarding in demographic information about Christians in the U.S., it lists Protestant. It can list Catholic. Sometimes it'll list evangelical. And then we're sampling Black Christians under these categories or Latinx Christians under these categories and Asian Christians under these categories. And sometimes, like for Latinx, where if they're coming from a predominantly Catholic country, it makes sense because the Catholicism, colonialism, et cetera, it, it, is, it is a category that is relevant. Mm -hmm. But as you mentioned before, Many Asian churches in the U.S. don't affiliate with the denomination uh -huh. of which I, those labels apply, Protestant, <laughs> Catholic, yeah. Evangelical, what have you. Uh -huh. So I guess my question is, 
do they do the survey categories adequately account for the kind of Christians Asian Americans are? In other words, what are we losing if we hold to a, a survey question, are, are you evangelical or mainline? Are you Protestant or Catholic? If that may not be the internal reasoning of Asian American Christians, can you offer any commentary on this? Yeah, I don't think I'm uh, uh, violating any new sort of uh, new projects that are coming through, but the Pew Research Center, I, I was asked to serve on as a consultant on their next Asian American survey. One of the things that they wanted to examine was this very question, are the labels that we're usually used to uh, giving uh, adequate and are we missing something in, in the process? What was interesting was they asked everyone the traditional question about their religious preference, and then they had a follow-up question and said, Previously, you mentioned that you are, let's say, Protestant. Do you also uh, uh, connect to any of the following? Choose as many as apply. And they show the exact same categories, right? And yeah, without revealing too much, the, the initial results so far have been really astounding. There are a lot of Buddhists, for example, that would also call themselves Christian. Yep. Right? So if you gave them the follow-up question instead of a select only one religion, uh, you will actually get a far more complex picture of what's really taking place. I think less, uh, maybe a quarter, a quarter of primarily identifying Christians identify also as Buddhist. Hmm. And the biggest thing, and this is probably something everybody kind of knew in the background, you know that big category of people who say, I don't have any religion? Yeah. When you ask them, do you identify with any of these other, you know, uh, traditions? Oh my gosh, that number drops from like 50% to like 15. Right. A lot this of them are actually Christian. A lot of them are Buddhist. A lot of them are Hindu. This is similar so. to Russell Jung's co-authored book, Family Sacrifices, where he looks at Chinese American religion and how many Chinese Americans circle that they're religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S, because they don't present in a kind of European understanding of what religion is as conf like confessing certain circumscribed beliefs or doctrines, right? But exactly. when you start asking them about their ethical system and orientation, their religious community or life, they are religious on every other metric, right? right? And so a lot of this has to do with how Asian Americans may or may not fit whatever categories we have assumed coming from a Anglo-European genealogy, so to speak. Precisely, precisely. And so we need to have more interviews and more ethnographic studies that follow Russell's lead, you know, that that talk about, okay, can we explore the life of a person who doesn't identify as a Christian and or, or maybe doesn't identify with any religion at all? Hmm. Just follow them around, uh, <laughs> not to be stalkery, but, you know, just sort of get a sense for, okay, I understand that this term is not something that you want to relate to, yeah. but what do you do in your day-to-day -day life? Do you, do you ever say a prayer just before you're about to go to your big meeting, yeah. right? Do you have any kinds of jewelry or talisman or some kind of thing that mm -hmm. makes you feel like you're getting good luck? You know, mm -hmm. uh, is there anything personal to you that way? Yeah. What about groups? Are you are you part of any groups that are meaningful to you? And I'm never going to say church, but, you know, something yeah. that's really important to you, but that gives you some kind of energy. Yeah. Right. And then unpack that. Let's listen to a lot, a lot of people that have these kinds of backgrounds and 
learn how we're actually not asking the correct question. Right. In other words, we talk about secular, like a secular society or living in a post-religious or post-Christian world. But a lot of that presupposes a very constrained understanding of what either a religion or Christianity may be. And someone may answer yes, 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 yes to all the examples you just gave. But may but when asked if they're religious, we'll say no. But it's like, well, you're, you're functioning as a religious person in every other respect. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And who was the person that said used the phrase like the anonymous Christian? Yeah, that's Carl right. Rahner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been thinking back to a lot of these phrases, like you know, yeah, the anonymous Christian, syncretic Christianity, like crypto Judaism. Mm. These are all ways of talking about hidden religion in plain sight, right? That. People walking in their everyday lives are actually quite devout, very spiritual in many different ways, but they just simply don't articulate it in these conventional forms that we've been using for decades. So I I just wonder if yeah, there's just a whole mass of hidden population out there. It's just that most of them these days just simply don't like the label. And, you know, we can have a separate conversation another day, but perhaps a lot of this has to do with our contemporary politics. You know, when certain people just keep referring to their religion as, you know, their their connection to what makes America great, Mm -hmm. I think it's going to alienate folks that don't see it that way, whether they are of that religion or not. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, To round out our conversation. Yeah. Are there any publications coming for you know coming forth, whether journals or books, that you might recommend? Because I am really interested in everything we've just been talking about, because I have a lot of anecdotal kind of senses of certain trends, just talking to Asian American faith leaders. But do you know of forthcoming publications that kind of are in this space that you might refer me to? I, I wish I could. Yeah, I, I I don't know of any off the top of my head, but I, I think that there there are two agenda items that uh, we, we hopefully are going to see more in general. Yeah. Uh, one area I think is growing, and I think you know a lot of the people I would mention here. We would like to have a, a telling, of, not just a retelling, but an actual telling of Asian American Christianity. Uh, she's she's got a book coming out, I believe, right, about mm-hmm. the role that evangelicalism played in South Korea. Is that right? Well, that's Helen Jin Kim. Jane's Jin book Kim, is, is more about the 70s and 80s, how Asian Americans yes. have sh- sh- shaped and reshaped evangelicalism. Yes. Pairing those two together would be phenomenal, right? Mm-hmm. And we want to build that library up as much as possible. Yep. The other agenda item, I would say, Maybe Carolyn Chen's work kind of fits in here. Her recent work was looking at how how traditional, I guess, East East Asian, no, South Asian based religion, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. gets stripped of its own meanings and then exploited for the purposes of greater worker productivity mm-hmm. in the secular world workplace. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's part of a large body of literature and research that we need to pay attention to and develop. How is religion expressing itself in ways that we haven't looked at before? That is fascinating. That's right. It's like if we have a pragmatic account of what religion does, Mm -hmm. then we can begin to analyze untraditional forms of religion, such as at the Googles that are practicing, that are kind of sort of parasitic off of traditional forms and, and practices of religion. Because they understand it, it does something for building a community, right? 
this mm-hmm. is kind of uh, the implicit comment that you made, Jerry. Well, Jerry, you've been so generous with your time. This has been scintillating. I think I need to check in with you very frequently to, <laughs> to learn what you're learning about religion and U.S. society, but also Asian American Christianity. Thanks so much for sharing this conversation with me. Sure thing, David. And yeah, let the feelings mutual. I, I, I love to learn more from all the things that you're picking up because you're talking to a lot of great people. Awesome. Appreciate that. We here at the Center for Asian American Christianity at Princeton Theological Seminary invite you to join in the ongoing dialogue on Asian American faith, identity, social engagement, and ministry through our newsletter, blog, and upcoming conferences at ltiaa.com.